0: All right, we're beginning a new series uh, today, excited about this. We tend to uh, stretch, and and there's been interest by some of you in the congregation to to go into the Old Testament, and and some of the books we might not be familiar with, maybe Ecclesiastes is that to you, Uh, maybe you have some questions, and and honestly, uh, it it stretches me to any time we go into the Old Testament, and, and I appreciate that. At the beginning, it's full of sweat and and worry. How do I do this? <laughs> but through a lot of prayer and study, then I get excited about it. So I'm excited as I come before you with this opportunity to go through this book of Ecclesiastes. Um, uh, just a couple things that I think is really important for us to understand as we enter into it. The word Ecclesiastes, I'm sure we kind of question what that, that is. It's actually a Greek word that that we have for gathering, which ends up to be the church. And, and that Greek word was actually translated from a Hebrew word that's koalat. And, and koalat is actually a word used for Solomon in the Old Testament. And, and whether it was a term that's used to identify or a nickname, uh, it actually means teacher. Teacher. So in putting the two together, you kind of have this idea as a gathering uh, and, and the activity of teaching. So Ecclesiastes has that focus upon teaching, or, or the focus upon teacher who is doing the teaching. Uh, something else that's really important as we begin: it is Solomon. It's believed that it's Solomon that writes the greatest content, uh, part of the content of Ecclesiastes. When you're reading through, more than likely, unless it's the beginning or the end, it's going to be Solomon's words. Uh, the the introduction. It's predominantly believed today that a good portion or a portion of the beginning is written by someone else. We don't know who it is, someone that was a companion or someone who came along with wisdom to give it a prologue and an epilogue. The prologue is anywhere from the first two verses, and the commentary I was reading was like the first 11 verses to introduce Solomon's work. And what's even more important is, is the epilogue or the conclusion that's laid out. That's in chapter 12, verses 9 through 14. And, and we'll, we're going to see the significance of that, especially as we introduce and get familiar with this book. I, hey, I'm going to encourage you right now, read this. <laughs> uh, hopefully, I, I did a little uh, pro- publicity or promoting or telling people I was going to uh, go through the book of Ecclesiastes. So hopefully, even this morning, you've had an opportunity to read the first chapter If you haven't jumped on board, read again the first chapter, even though I'm going to preach it today, and then go into that that second chapter, become familiar with it, begin to write down those questions, and and, uh, uh, we'll we'll be preaching that, or I'll be preaching that this next Sunday. Now the book, why we call it The Search, why we call it The Search, the book is King Solomon's Search for Meaning in Life. This is King Solomon's Search for Meaning in Life. But that really is incomplete information to give you to identify the book of Ecclesiastes. I believe it's more like this This is King Solomon's search for life in everything in this world except for God. Okay? It's a search for meaning in life without God, without God. And, and here, let me, let me share with you uh, the thesis. You know what a thesis is? That's here, here, Here's what I'm going to find, or here's what I'm going to prove. And it's actually laid out in the introduction, so this is somebody else. He actually takes this from what Solomon said in chapter 12, verse 8. Uh, Solomon writes that down. Here's the conclusion of all the research I've done in my life. And he writes it down in verse, verse 8 of chapter 12, but, but in the introduction... Uh, this, uh, whoever wrote it, writes it down in verse 2. He says, meaningless. Re- imagine reading through a book of the Bible and the conclusion is meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. There we go. That's what we know about Ecclesiastes, right? If you're familiar with, that's a verse that always stands out, right? And you're wondering, how is this a part of the Bible, <laughs> You, you know that questioning. Matter of fact, if we pay attention, a lot of that kind of questioning is coming out. It's coming out in, in poetry. I, I think it's coming across in stories. I, I I do know it's coming across in songs. Matter of fact, as I was doing this, I wrote these down. Now these are songs that I've I've you know it, that have come in my lifetime. That I think, man, that that is a message that comes out of. Ecclesiastes. Okay, if you're familiar with the group Kansas, I grew up. That was my teen years. Dust in the wind. Dust in the wind is a song. You know, uh, only a drop of water in an endless sea. Dust in the wind. We're all, all we are is just dust in the wind. Uh, an, another song. Okay, the Rolling Stones. Now, now I'm not promoting songs. Okay, I'm just saying that that they they are thinking the same thing. But but I can't get no satisfaction. Uh, look at the lyrics. Now, I'm inviting you to look at the lyrics that, that are written down. It is, it is uh, uh, whoever created the, the lyrics of this is looking out, listening to the world. This is what I need. This is, And he says, I can't get any sax- satisfaction. There, there's no satisfaction through most of the verses. Uh, and you too. Everybody know the, the groups that laid out, right? My age, you got to know all three of these, right? Okay. But you too, is I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Okay, he's, he's doing the search just like Solomon, and he still can't find what he's looking for. And Solomon's conclusion, again, is meaningless, meaningless. Everything's just meaningless. Here's, here's, uh, here, here's the picture or the image that came to my mind when I think about Solomon as writing the, the book of uh, uh, Ecclesiastes. You know who that is? All right, if you're familiar with Christopher Robin, that's the sad donkey. That's the sad donkey who just, oh, bother. If you want to hear a good imitation of Eeyore, ask Brian Clark to say, oh, bother. Because Brian Clark's got that down. He could do a good Eeyore. But here's, here's a depressed donkey. I mean, actually, that, that verse that, that talks about meaningless, meaningless just sounds like Eeyore to me. And so those are are some of the thoughts that came across as I I was looking at it. Here's some things, uh, further facts, I think is very important as we approach this book of Ecclesiastes. Very much it's uh, considered, and even as you read through this, you'll see why. I think you'll see evidence of why it's believed that this book of Ecclesiastes is toward the end of Solomon's life. Predominantly it's believed that way, no one really questions that otherwise, And as you read through it, you see why. Because of all the research that he's done. All the the angles of life he attempted to do, to come to his conclusion. Uh, And therefore, we have to know Solomon's heart. I mean, Solomon was uh, the son of David, took the throne of Israel, and was doing well matter of fact, there was that time, you remember, Solomon is the one who God approached and, and said, you know, what is it you want and I'll grant it to you. I'll give it to you. And Solomon didn't ask for wealth. He didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask uh, for, for vanquish any of my enemies or, or any threats, you know, take care of them. What he asked for was wisdom. And, and man, he was rewarded. God was pleased with his request. So he received wisdom from God. And and I, I believe Solomon ruled fairly well until you come to First Kings chapter eleven. here's Here's some background I think is really important, is how is it that Solomon came to a place to begin to question and look for the meaning in life? Maybe this has something to do with it. Ecclesia, I mean, first First Kings chapter eleven, verses one through six. Listen carefully. He says, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites. Here's the key point. They worshipped other gods. It's not because they were foreign women. It's because those foreign women worshipped other gods. And here's the rule. He he said, you must not, uh, they were were told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. Ready for this? He had 700 wives of royal birth. We kind of knew that. 700 wives of royal birth. And 300 concubines. Guys, you feel worn out? Even thinking about, oh man. How, how could... Yeah, I, yeah. and, and he's, he's supposed to be wise, right? Uh, um, and then it says, And his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after the other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. As the heart of David... His father had been. Not like his dad at all. He followed Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So he did not follow the Lord completely as, as David, his father, had done. I mean, he set up high places. He worshipped these other gods. God was not his focus. God was not his primary, his one and only focus in his life. Do you think that might have been some influence over writing Ecclesiastes? And I say absolutely. Remember that. Remember Solomon and his attitude. Some believe maybe David was on his turning back because there's there's some content in here that has David thinking and considering where he's been and saying, oh man, how useless, how meaningless this was. Whether he converted and returned back to God, we don't know. Or whether in that sta- same state of multiple gods, knowing even the, the one true God, did he write this. But here, here I, I do believe is the value of this to you and I as believers, uh, as we unfold this. I think David's uh, Solomon's research is done with wisdom, even worldly wisdom, and he looks around and saying, let's find meaning apart from God. Do you see some value in that? Because uh, there's, there's times in our lives we begin to be tempted one, again and again as we live in this world by something else, to make something else significant in our lives besides God. And so keep that in mind as we go through this. Solomon applies his God-given wisdom to search the world for meaning. What he finds is honest, is truthful, and it's sobering. It's sobering. And hopefully will keep us in track or on track or lead us to to a greater truth in our lives. Here uh, this morning, in the rest of this chapter, I want to share with you three truths that Solomon reveals about the world that we live in. Number one. The world never changes. The world never changes. I put on this out, outline as well. It is what it is. I've heard some people say, I'm so tired of that. I'm so tired of that statement. It, it is what it is. It's always going to be. It never can be changed. It is what it is. Can't change it. The world can never, or it never changes. Uh, Solomon actually begins in verse 3 with a research question. I think in, in his pursuit of meaningless, uh, or in his pursuit of meaning, and verse 3 says, what do, what do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? What do they gain? What's he asking? What difference do people make? A matter of fact, I asked you this morning, what difference are you making in the world? What difference? Have you ever asked yourself, what difference am I making? Have you ever felt just kind of, oh man, I, you know, I know I'm doing, I'm raising my family, things like that. But there's got to be more to this life than just the toil that I'm doing. So he asks the question, here's the guy, wisest man in the world, king, who says, you know, what what good is the toil? What gain? What are we gaining from all the toil? And he begins to examine that by thinking about the way the world works. In in the next few verses, listen carefully. uh, Because the existence of everything is in cycles. And he he brings that out. Listen carefully. He says, uh, generations come and generations go. But the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and it hurries back uh, to where it rises again. The wind blows to the north and then turns uh, and, and, uh, excuse me, the wind blows to the south and then turns back and goes to the north. Round and round it goes. We know that in Kansas, don't we? (laughs) Ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full to the place the streams come, come from, where they return again. There's the cycles. In each one you see, generations to generations, we think about that's life. That's, that's our lives. It, it, it begins with that birth and ends with death. That's generations to generations. And generations come and generations go. Birth, new birth, death. New birth, death, and that that cycle just continues. And then it goes into that scene of nature, the sun. We know this every day. What we expect is to see the sun rise. It makes its trek across the sky, and we know it's going to return in the morning. Another cycle from nature. Uh, The wind, that, that wind that blows from the south. Uh, we, we even know what time of year it is according to the wind. If it's summer and it's hot, we know the wind is coming from the south. And as the fall comes, we're looking forward to the wind. Oh, please, wind come, uh, wind coming from the south, and it's cooler. It's it's just this continuous cycle, continuous cycle, including uh, the streams. All the streams move towards the ocean, and it never fills the the rivers never empty out the the ocean never fills but it just conti- there's a cycle going on because it you know it, it goes up into the clouds it rains fills the rivers again and it goes into the ocean and it's just everything here is a cycle and he says it's continuous what does that do look at verses eight and nine he, he says all things are wearisome and and i think he's talking about these cycles or this continuous even even the generations coming and going is wearisome. if anything that we know seasons we love to see new seasons come and we even talk about how nice it is to expect you know here in the hot we're looking forward to fall and how much do we appreciate fall but it's it's a cycle all the time and maybe one of the the greatest grievances Or or things that cause us weariness is generations and generations. That that death is a part of this, right? That death is a part of us. Life just doesn't continue on. It's not, but it's expected. This is what uh, we are to do. What does that have to do with my work? Well, what what is humanity changing? What are we changing? All these generations. What has been changed? Matter of fact, that's where he goes uh, in verse nine. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is that right? Nothing new under the sun. That's what Solomon's saying. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. And he goes on talking about, you know, even if we look back in generations, man, it was here before. Well, in my own thinking, I would say, well, let's bring Solomon to our day and age. Would we wow Solomon? I think we would. We would absolutely wow Solomon. You know, the, the advances in, in, in medicine a- as well as the advances in viruses and diseases and other ways that, we're, that, that people die. You know, he, he would also be amazed at that. More and more of that's happening uh, this day and age. Uh, we, we could show him transportation. I mean, he's familiar with transportation, chariots, horses. But now he said, now, here's how we, we could travel. You know, there's cars, and they could go fast. We could get there so much quicker. And there's submarines that could go into the ocean, and there's, uh, you know, there's airplanes that could fly people so much quicker, and, and even rockets we could go to the moon. And we're even looking beyond that. And he would be wowed by that. But give Solomon time, would anything really have changed? What about human nature, the sinful nature? Would it have changed? Self-centeredness? Hatred towards each other? Matter of fact, another thing we could show them is we could blow up whole cities. Woo! (laughs) Isn't that great? There are lots of things in this world that, man, we got to say, you know, that probably Solomon would end up saying, same old, same old. It's that, but we, uh, what I see is that working of the continued cycles, generations come and go, uh, all nature continues in these cycles, everything. And, and honestly, I, th- I believe even he's talking about the curiosity and humanity is never, uh, never satisfied. It says, eyes that are never seen, ears that are never hearing. It's never satisfied. Well, why? Why this continued ugly cycle? Ugly because of, I, I believe, what comes next. Here's the second truth that Solomon reveals within this first chapter about the world. It's this. The brokenness of life cannot be fixed. The brokenness of this life cannot be fixed. Let me read 13 through 15. Uh, this, this matter of fact, is that place where we believe that Solomon takes over. In verse 12, he says, I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens, under the sun, under the heavens. What, what a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. Man, that sets your mind to wonder. What, what is he talking about? What's this heavy burden? It has to do with this searching, this toil of, of trying to find meaning in life. This is a heavy burden. It says in verse uh, 14, I have seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. So what he's saying is is, is this this heavy burden, again, is that toil of searching. Where where it is, just to him, it is completely futile. He's not seeing anything that's going to bring significant change to this world. He's not seeing anything that's going to bring that change. No solution is found. It's like chasing after the wind. He, he brings that up. You know, how easy is it to catch the wind? Can't be done. Or another way that we, we put it is, you know, hey, grab some smoke or, or, or grab the fog in the morning and, and hold on to it. Can you do that? You can't. It, it is... It is wearisome. It's a wearisome tack. It's exhausting. Matter of fact, I was reading one guy, he said, uh, you know, if you've sat in a philosophy class, how many of you sat in a philosophy class in, in college? Philosophy class? Uh, I, did, I did as well. And, and, and maybe we could use those words. Wearisome, Exhausting. <laughs> Because here in philosophy, we're trying to explain life on one hand, but even in order to find meaning to life. And and there are endless isms out there that they've researched. I mean, Solomon here also looked at materialism, but existentialism, uh, uh, even, even here recently, uh, you know, postmodernism has been identified, relativism. All, all kinds of isms, and they've been all throughout. Philosophers have, have tried to pin down and, and bring significance to life, or at least to identify why we're here. And it's exhausting, because you, know, you could always line yourself with a different philosophy, but no philosophy has ever been found that we say, "Woo, there it is. That explains everything. Because there continues to be a dissatisfaction, a, a continued searching in this world. The proverb that's listed in verse 15, he brings this up. Maybe this helps us identify the overall problem that Solomon doesn't bring up. He says, what is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. He, he says some pretty, pretty absolutes there. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I believe identifying the problem is is a curse that we're all under. It, it happened at the beginning, and it's the brokenness of humanity. When when we have. Uh, sinned against the one who created us, set things in order. When we have broken relationship with him, we are separated from him because of our sinfulness. There is a curse laid upon us. What does the curse bring? Death. That that definitely is part of the cycles that we see. Generation to generation, there's death. And and also the separation from God. We're in bad shape. (laughs) And and, and to, to look at Solomon and say, man, I know what this is. Solomon actually applies his wisdom to it. Finally, uh, the final truth Solomon reveals about the world is this. Facing this truth brings despair. He comes to that conclusion. It's all meaningless. Facing this truth brings despair. 16 through 18. Let's look at that. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. Again, God-given wisdom. And Solomon definitely had that. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. Let me take you back to First Kings chapter 11. Madness and folly, in my own definition, is when you began to turn to gods made of stone and, and sticks and, and built by human hands. There's madness and folly there. And I don't know whether that's what Solomon's referring to, but I could identify that was crazy. Solomon, you turned away from the God who created all things to gods that you created with your own hands? There wasn't Some wise thinking in that. But he turned to those things, and here is his conclusion. For with much wisdom comes sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Here's the truth. Anything that we could pursue in this world is not going to bring satisfaction. there, there There are appetites that we have that we could be satisfied. I believe God created us with these appetites. Appetites for hunger. I'll say it, appetites for sex, appetites for for, uh, health, for for all kinds of things. And it's part of who you are. But there's an appetite that is never satisfied within us. There's an appetite within us that is never satisfied. The the things of this world, we're going to... Uh, as we walk through this, we're going to look through Solomon's research. Well, is, hey, is it, is it wealth? Is it fame? Is it, is it friends? Uh, what, what is it that is going to bring meaning to this life? Again, his conclusion is meaninglessness. But when we leave God out of the research, we leave out the answer to the question, what brings meaning to life? Hey, listen, it's no different Today. People still are searching for meaning, and all they're finding is dissatisfied. They're not finding the meaning to life. They're not finding the avenues. They can't find it in, well, in, in education or wisdom. And they're, they're definitely not finding it in other things. Some are, are numb to it with whatever they're filling their life with. But the truth is, this world offers us nothing. That's going to fill the spot that belongs to the one who created us. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? I find this book encouraging in this. That we're, we're able to look at Solomon searching. The world never changes. It's on this cycle. God set it in its motion. And it is what it is. The brokenness of this life and, and what we continue to identify. We have more questions than we have answers. Without God. We absolutely have more questions. Uh, they, they can't be counted. There's more questions we have answers. Uh, when, when we look at this world and its troubles without God. And, and, and guess what? It, what is bent it cannot be straightened. It can only be remade. And what we look at in the whole Old Testament is this. Where, where there is real true change that enters into the world. I believe that comes from God. Where it comes from to real significant change, to healing, to straightening out what is bent, it's going to have to come from one the one who created it. It's going to come from God. Are you with me? Are you with me on that? It, the significance is going to be found in our relationship with God. Here, here's, a, here, here's a problem. That we have our Solomon moments. I think we have Solomon moments. And, and what do I mean by that? I believe Solomon moments is when we're looking at life and neglecting to remember that God is actively working in this world today. I, I believe that we're having the kind of Ecclesiastes, Solomon moments that we, we get depressed and we look at the world and we think the direction it's going, maybe the viruses that are coming upon us or the government that's going screwy or, or whatever we're thinking. Maybe my neighborhood is full of violence or our communities are full of violence. What's happening? We, we have to remember that wisdom says that God is not a God who's setting aside just watching because that's kind of what Solomon overall, uh, he'll talk about God seems to conclude that he's not involved, don't have the Solomon attitude. That means in every day, no matter the situation that you're facing, you need to understand that God's involved, that he's active, that, that, that whatever governments and every, everything else that's going on, it's not out of his control. Matter of fact, he's, I, I absolutely believe he's leading history. I don't think that's in our hands at all. I think that's in God's hands. And, and he's leading history, and he wants us to follow with faithfulness. Follow with faithfulness. Where are we going to find meaning except as we, as his people, continue to trust him and follow him in faithfulness? Amen? Absolutely, amen. So here's, here's where Solomon went. He, uh, again, the world never changes. Uh, the brokenness of life cannot be fixed. And facing the truth, the reality of things, is, it only brings despair. The only difference is when our eyes are fixed upon God. He brings answers. He brings answers. He brings meaning. Now I, I want to conclude this way, this morning. I, I think about David. I want, to, I want to turn back here in the Old Testament. We're, we're going to open up other scriptures as we walk through Ecclesiastes. I think it's, it's fascinating to look what, what Paul says, what, what we find in the Gospels from Jesus. And even here in the Old Testament, what is said. Now this is David, Solomon's father, and, and what did his relationship look like? And, and you're familiar with this passage, but just think about it. Psalm uh, 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And 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 even when I walk through the valley of the shat, uh, shadows of death, you are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Wow. <laughs> That's, that was David's writing down, this is my relationship with God. He is my shepherd. He cares for me in every day, even in the valley of the shadow of death. Why are we so troubled? Man, listen to the confidence of Solomon's dad. Who put his guy, who didn't look and didn't pursue other gods? He had the one and only his shepherd. Now the last phrase, he says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Is that you? <laughs> Are you confident that that even in the midst of troubles, when when everybody is hating on you or rejecting you or, or, or it's just difficult, life is just difficult, is this what you're thinking? Surely goodness and mercies follow me all the days of my life. And then that last phrase takes us into eternity. There's breaking one of the cycles, right? And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Woo! Oh, man. I, I think it's going to be a, a sweet, sweet ride through Ecclesiastes. I want you to know the book. I don't want to just be up here talking about it. I want you to know this book because I think it's a strength for maybe challenging the world around us because the world around us is doing what? They're looking for some kind of meaning in this life and they are going to continue looking and be be distraught or find, find themselves in despair until they find the true source of meaning. God. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you for every single day that you've given us. I praise you for your word. Lord, uh, we love the Gospels. We love to hear about Jesus. We love to hear uh, how the church uh, began in Acts and even the letters that Paul wrote to the churches. Lord, we're, we're going to venture into the Old Testament. And Lord, because you're the God of the Scriptures, we know that every book is significant. So we're going we're gonna to apply it. We're going to learn what's, what's going on with Solomon. And open up to see his research of thinking about this world. Lord, we don't want to just hear this on Sunday mornings. We want it to stretch us. We want your spirit to be working on us with verses. And maybe something that your spirit has, has caught our attention with this morning. And we ask, Lord, that we, we are not a people who, who, who are just knowing God. But, Lord, we're in relationship with you. That, that we are active in it in every day. That, Father, uh, you are bringing meaning to not only our life, but to our every day. God, we praise you and thank you always for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.